Sooners of Oklahoma, 12-0, and still looking for respect nationwide. What is going on, Sooner Nation? Long time, no see. Thank you all for tuning in to another and today's kind of a special edition episode of the Barry and Mac show. It is just Barry, but I am not flying solo. Uh, I got a special guest with us today. Uh, brand new to the 360 roster. If you guys aren't members, make sure to go check out Sooners360.com. Uh, just added some great uh, baseball writers. We have uh, s- some uh, high school writers over there doing fantastic work uh, for uh, Sooner Surge. Go listen to their podcast. But the man of the hour that I want to bring on today, talk about the Super Bowl, talk about the schedule, and to talk a little bit about upcoming spring football uh, none other than fellow Oklahoman, Mr. Blake Mullen. How you doing today, Blake? What is up, buddy? How are you, man? I'm great. Happy to be here. Happy to be with 360. This is going to be uh, this is going to be a great experience, man. Happy to be on the podcast. Uh, it, yeah, this this is going to be great. How are you doing, man? Doing really well, man. Do, doing really well. I, I know right now you are up north. You have some awesome, awesome career opportunities going on uh, for yourself. So we are blessed to be able to have you uh, be a part of the family. Uh, But real quick, what what do you have going on right now? And what are you going to be doing and bringing to uh, Sooners 360? Yes, I'm currently a student here at the University of Oklahoma, but I'm not here in Oklahoma right now. I landed a uh, internship program in Washington, D.C., actually. Not uh, not that big into politics, if I'm being honest, but dabbling in it a little bit, doing uh, a few sports stories last week. And as you know, Barry, I was in Philly, uh, didn't cover the game, covered events leading up to the game, did a piece over uh, the Sooners and the NFL, which I know we're going to talk about. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Also, uh, do my own stuff on Instagram, as you know. And I'm just excited to be able to bring everything I've learned onto 360, uh, travel, do a little recruiting for you guys. It's it's going to be a great time. Cover games, high, cover high schoolers. Yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be a great experience. I hope everybody out there likes what I do. If you don't, shoot me a DM. Tell me how I can fix it. I am very open to uh, critiques. Very open to, su- to suggestions. It's going to be a great opportunity. Well, that, that's why we brought you on. You know, well, we loved everything you were about, um, everything that you had put out there. You're doing an awesome job with the Red Hot uh, podcast and, and just uh, so much good stuff. But, man, you mentioned uh, Philly. And as we know, Philly's going to be playing in the Super Bowl. Later that day, we found out that Kansas City was going to be their matchup. And I know OU went in to the AFC-NFC championship game with the most active roster players uh, to be playing in NFL conference championship games. I don't know if that number will stand for the Super Bowl or if that uh, that that ranking there will still stand. I actually need to check that. But OU, they're, they're well represented. You've got Jalen Hurts and, and Lane Johnson over there in Philadelphia. Let's start with that. You know, such an Im- impressive year by, you know, a guy who – you know, tabbed as a one-year rental when he came to Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley, but has turned into a quarterback a lot of us didn't expect and has uh, has held the Sooner brand down for the most part. You know, there was, there was a, 
a segment of the fan base that thought once he left Oklahoma as kind of a mercenary project uh, type deal, he would end up really being a, a Bama lifer and, and represent them. But it really hasn't panned out that way. Uh, what are your thoughts on what he has brought to Philadelphia during his career and then him really reaching you know, the, an early uh, success arc, if you will, uh, this season? Yeah, man. And so to, to your uh, first point, OU actually does lead all schools with players in the Super Bowl with six. Second is actually Florida, Michigan, Mississippi State, and Georgia, who are tied with four. So OU is uh, two up on any other university right now. So, hey, maybe that's another piece uh, coming up here soon exclusively on 360. We'll figure that one out. But uh, yeah, OU does lead. And man, it's Jalen is the center of attention, right? Like you said, Lane Johnson is also in Philly. And he is, I mean, he might be the best tackle in the league right now. He is ridiculous. But all eyes are on Jalen Hurts. He, I think he'll end up finishing second in MVP voting. And, you know, this is all, this is just Nick Sirianni, I feel like. Nick Sirianni and OC uh, Shane Steichen, they put him in a phenomenal position to succeed. And they really built the team around him. Jalen has just the support staff. It's actually kind of ridiculous. If you look at the offensive line, you can probably say it's the best in the NFL. You look at the running back group, Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott. Oh yeah. Miles Sanders, top 10 in the league. And then you look at the receiving core, AJ Brown, Devonte Smith, Dallas Goddard. It's just, I, I, I don't even know. Words can't describe what Jalen has around him. And that's not discrediting anything he is doing. He is making it all work and he was the missing piece. And that's why he's going to go from, Hey, maybe he's a one-year rental and they're going to use that new Orleans pick to draft somebody to, Hey, you're going to have to pay him probably 50 million a year. And that's absolutely ridiculous to say, but that is, if I, if I'm guessing right now, Jalen is going to get at least 40, likely 50 to 55 million, million a year this off season. You know, just seeing Jalen get it done so quickly. You know, I, I don't think anybody was necessarily surprised with his success. Although, if you were to take me, what, two, three, four years back and said, you know, between Tua and Jalen, who would be playing in a Super Bowl first, I think you would have had someone checked out if they would have said, uh, anybody but Tua in that scenario. So so Jalen has represented well. You, you see what kind of competitor he is. Um, the, the tenacity that you saw at Oklahoma wasn't as much of a, of a show as, as I think some fans who were a little bit more on the cynical side uh, might have thought. Man, moving to the other side, the opponent they'll be playing, Kansas City, they got four Sooners over there. You've got, well, we'll start with kind of the eras. So you got Blake Bell and Winchester. Uh, Winchester, kind of a forgotten Sooner, you know, on the roster, but has been, had a, had a really good career. I listened to an interview with him. It might have been on Gabe and Teddy's pod, maybe a year or so back. And just fantastic. His story, if you all haven't heard it, go listen to it. Uh, but you've got him, you've got the Bell Dozer representing and then the two guys who are going to be uh really trying to keep Patrick Mahomes and that ankle healthy all game. You got Orlando Brown out there on the left side uh doing work and then Creed Humphrey in the middle. Uh what do you think about what uh Creed and Orlando Brown have, have brought to that offensive line? 
Yeah, I mean, they've completely changed this team, if we're being honest here. If you look at Kansas City, they went from the Tyreek Hill, Michael Hardman, all splash plays to, I mean, they sort of, you don't want to use the word dink and dunk when you have Patrick Mahomes, right? But if you look at what they had to do in Cincinnati, it was kind of everything was 8 to 12 yards down the field. And for Patrick Mahomes, that is dink and dunk. It's not the 65, 70-yard shots downfield. But that all starts with the offensive line. That's why Joe Burrow, I mean, look at how many times this man was getting hit. Imagine if he had Zeus, Brown, and Creed. On his side of the ball, this game would have been completely different. But people, they, they, it's a, it's a forgotten about position at times. But people need to value these offensive linemen. I mean, Lane Johnson. You look at Jalen's stats when he doesn't have Lane. They are drastically different. It's the same with Creed and Zeus for Mahomes. They've completely changed the way this Chiefs team can play, and they've also allowed them to run the ball a little bit more. I know Pacheco wasn't able to get it going against Cincy, but this team is just so much better because of those two big guys up front. And then also you look at Blake Bell. Shoot, he almost, I mean, we thought he was going to get a lot of action this past weekend, especially with all the injuries that Kansas City was having. Juju went out. Uh, Michael Hardman got hurt again. Travis Kelsey, he was having back spasms, I guess. I think it happened the second to last play uh, practice on Friday. They didn't know if he was going to play on Sunday. I mean, Blake Bell was set up to have a lot of valuable snaps in that game. Obviously, players stayed healthy, Kelsey being the main one. But still, I mean, Sooners, no matter where you, no matter what game you're watching, you're going to find a couple Sooners in it. It just goes to show that, you know, Beatenbow, as much heat as he's been under, he developed those guys. You know, Creed certainly was not a project when he arrived at Oklahoma. But he was a different player when he left. And absolutely, uh, you would say that about Orlando Brown. Or- Orlando was was not the product that you currently see right now playing for the Chiefs when he arrived 100%. in Norman. I mean, I- I've talked with some folks just his journey and that red shirt year that he had struggling with Coach Jerry Schmidt trying to get his footing, you know, hearing, you know, stories about him doing hurdles and, you know, doing kind of the lead leg, uh, trail leg work and all all of the different things that, that Schmitty is notorious for having not just his skill guys, but his offensive linemen really take part in, uh, that that was one of the exciting pieces, you know, about getting coach Smith back and, and what would possibly happen with that offensive line development. So, you know, th- as far as the game is concerned, though, do you, do you have any early thoughts on where you might be leaning? You don't necessarily need to make a pick. I probably wait until a little bit later and do something on that. But but what are your thoughts of the matchup and who do you think has the edge? Yeah, I mean, you just look at the roster. This is something I said a ton going into the season. Um, top to bottom, the best roster in the NFL was I felt like pretty easily the Philadelphia Eagles. I thought that was the case. And I mean, now with Jalen playing how he is, like I said, he's going to probably be second in the MVP voting heat. It's hard to go against him. It really is. Plus, we know Patrick Mahomes should be healthy at two weeks from now, right? In the Super Bowl he played last week, he should be, you would assume, close to 100%. But I still don't think this Kansas City team can go blow for blow with the Eagles. Plus, you look at what the Eagles have done recently compared to Kansas City. Kansas City's been in two nail biters where players have been getting hurt. Players have been getting hurt. That Jacksonville game, that game was scary, especially when Henny had to come in. He had a great drive led th- that led them down the field. They scored a touchdown. But that was a very scary and a very close game down to the wire. Cincinnati, 
we know how this one ended, right? Everybody was watching. And then you look at what Philly's done. Look at the game against the Giants. They won by, what, 400 points? And then they beat San Francisco by about, seemed like, 100 touchdowns as well. The games have just been completely different. Philly has just been running through the NFC. And I get the argument, well, look at what Philly's got to do. They've got to play, I guess it would have been Daniel Jones and then Josh Johnson. I hear your argument. They didn't make their schedule, though. Not their fault. That's who won. And it's not their fault. Injuries happen. But when you beat the Giants 38-7 to and then you beat San Fran 31-7, to it's hard to not favor that team. It is really hard not to favor them. I just think they're going to be a little too physical. So yeah, I'll give you the prediction. I think Philly wins. I'm going to go with 41-31. And I want Ooh. to see what happens with the best com- or best QB in the league conversation. What happens when Jalen Hurts wins this Super Bowl? Say he, oh. hypothetically, say he wins, say he wins the Super Bowl MVP. I don't think he obviously won't be the best quarterback, but will he be top five? I think there'll be a real argument for that. I want to talk about the signing day of uh, February 1st. That is going to be a big, giant uh, deflated balloon because it looks like OU is only going to be signing one player uh, that we are aware of. It's going to be Taylor Heim. Most of the work was done back in December, you know, in that early signing day period, you know, without doing an evaluation on who the players are going to be, you know, signing in the next couple of days. I want to get more of a big picture uh, point of view in terms of strategy and OU getting what they needed to get done in that early signing day period. So you come to today, where as other teams or even OU in the past was was scrambling to get to numbers. Uh, what are your thoughts on how Venables and his staff have have kind of played with the numbers game and made sure that they got the guys that they wanted. Yeah, man, like you said, this February 1st deadline tomorrow, actually, it's pretty boring, but that's a good thing. Sooner fans right now, are, I see some people complaining on Twitter and stuff, and they're like, hey, BV, man, get it, get it going. We need to bring some more players in. Do we? Do we really need to do that? I feel like this is a time to congratulate him and congratulate the staff, like you said, Barry, and say, hey, they did their job. There is one player left to be signed, Taylor Heim, who's a very good player, number 15 player in the state of Oklahoma, 6'4", 190. He needs to put on some weight. We obviously know this, but I believe it's a 4'4", Isn't that what they're saying he's running right now, Barry? Yep, yep. That is the, uh, I, I know people on Twitter have kind of gotten after me on on that, but I would say, even if it isn't a 4'4", he is a very fast and explosive athlete and he has all of that 36-inch vertical, um, and that's been shown out on Twitter. So he's a guy who brings some serious athleticism to the table. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, like you said, serious athleticism, that's something we I feel like we've sort of been lacking in recent years at OU. He's going to be able to put on weight here. He's He has the potential of being a very good player. He's obviously a project player, a project recruit, but he could be somebody that is very good. But I mean, just talking about this recruiting class, everybody obviously knows Jackson Arwood. Everybody knows PJ. Everybody knows Bowen, right? Those are the three names that everybody knows. They're top 16 players. Phenomenal. That's the probably the best recruiting class since we've had since Switzer's era, I would say. That's pretty fair in my opinion, just grading players since the Switzer era. This is the best class we have had. But let's look at some names that you should know. You might not know that well, though. Makari Vickers, number one. I know he's somebody who's been on 360, and he is going to be 
seatbelt. He's going to be a lockdown player. This kid, he has the athleticism. He has the size 6'1", 191. Needs to put on a little bit of weight. But man, he is going to be a dog. This dude is going to be electric. Let's go to another guy, Lewis Carter. Barry, I know you and I talked about him on the pre-show. He's going to be special. He is going to be absolutely special. From everything I know you're hearing, I'm hearing the same as well. His instincts might be number one on campus. And that says a lot. If it is for me, that is the main thing I care about. The athleticism, if you have it, great. But instincts are number one. Instincts are the biggest thing. And Lewis Carter checks every single box. This dude, he's going to be electric. And then number three, Josiah Wagner. You can talk about speed. Oh my goodness. Speed and ball skills. Go watch his tape. He is going to be phenomenal. And I mean, this entire class though, Dave McCullough, this entire class is just loaded. And so, yeah, I think Sooner fans, you should be super excited right now. I know I'm excited. This is going to completely change the way this program looks, in my opinion, especially after a six and seven season and going into the SEC, which I know we believe 2024 will likely be the year for that. These kids, they're going to leave their mark on that conference. I would not be if I'm an Alabama fan or a Georgia fan. I know the not to say they are all like this, but the arrogance of some of those fan bases might be getting to them. Oh, it's Oklahoma. We beat the Big 12 and then pass this and that. I'd be scared of this team. I'd look at this recruiting class. I'd look at this coaching staff, and I would fear the Oklahoma Sooners. And I think that is a message that OU will deliver by 2026-ish, maybe 2025. This is not a team to be messed with. This recruiting class is elite, period. Yeah, and I think it can't be understated just how effective they were at getting the player that they wanted at that at the position of need right defensive end linebacker uh they wanted to to shore up the numbers at corner they they needed some offensive line guys and they got those guys on board pretty early uh you needed your quarterback to get the class going you know the lincoln who who was seen as the this elite sort of home run flashy recruiter really struggled when it came down to to locking up the guys that they absolutely could not lose come signing day. And and fans, you know, I just kind of go back to that December, just how nervous fans were getting when when PJ was a little bit later in the day to uh to get things signed. I know there was the Macari was one of the first one, but there were a few others who were a little bit late to the party. And and that 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 sentiment that general thought process from the fans was absolutely present um and i can't I, I don't think it can go understated just how important it will be for this program to continue to build to not have that that sort sort of lingering um kind of lack of momentum from those continuous losses um of commitments you know in, in the waning hours you know, Absolutely. And, and I mean, even even look Go at the ahead. players they were just able to lock up after one visit. Look at the McCullough brothers. That That is a duo who, I mean, people were talking, oh, would you rather have the McCullough brothers or Peyton Bowen? We got all three of them. <laughs> I That's ridiculous. You landed all three of those guys. That is absolutely nuts. And honestly, to the Lincoln point as well, locking up players was an issue. But also, let's talk about development. What did he, not necessarily Lincoln, but what did his staff ever do in viewing the talent, right? Could they identify talent that well? 
five stars. Hey, I hope he does well at Arizona State, but look at Clayton Smith. That's a prime example. Did he ever even see the field in Norman? I mean, I just don't think that happens under BV. I think under BV, your stars will matter because I don't think they're chasing stars. I think if they bring in a five-star, you should know, wow, this kid's going to be elite. And I mean, already look at it. Look at the awards that Jackson's won. Look at the things PJ has won, right? I mean, it's showing. Look at what Peyton Bowen has won. It's not a five-star because of name value. No shot at Arch Manning, but that could be the case. It's five stars because they are five stars, period. And that is something we have not had in Oklahoma in a while that we now will have again, I feel like. Yeah, and, and I think it's going to be even more pronounced come spring ball when you start seeing these guys who were these high-level high school blue-chip recruits walk onto campus and be impact guys and you that they don't arrive and it's a, well, we'll wait and see. Not sure. Yeah, he's really talented, but he's very raw. I think you're going to see a lot less of that, particularly with the guys on the defensive side of the ball. I think this just goes to understanding the tape, understanding what as a coach you are looking for out of a player. So when he arrives, it, it isn't a, a hopefulness or or guesswork as to what that athlete is going to offer you on a day-to-day basis. You have confidence because, you know, as much as, you know, getting educated in whatever field is important, experience is also a great teacher. And when it came to fielding an elite defense, we cannot say that Lincoln Riley was ever a part of a program that accrued the players necessary to do that. And he never brought on a staff that was able or had the pedigree of doing that. He didn't go out and grab a guy who has won a playoff game. He didn't go out and grab a guy who has had elite success in the NFL, right? Whereas bringing in Coach Venables, and then even as much as as much flack as Roof gets, we know that this defense has been Venables' baby, and we know how hands-on he is with the evaluations and recruiting of his players that he brings into the program and, and and that pedigree just cannot go, um, cannot go without notice, you know, and and looking forward to, to spring ball and what some of these guys are going to offer. I think the transfers are going to be really what either allows this team to achieve their goals or ends up being what holds them back. What do you think about what OU was able to do on the portal side of things and then how that plays into getting winter conditioning knocked out, building that chemistry, and then getting really hard and heavy into spring football? Absolutely ridiculous. That is the, I mean, I know we rank, I believe it's number four in composite uh, recruiting rankings, and I think it's number nine in transfer rankings. This transfer class is nuts. It is absolutely nuts. They brought in 12, I believe. I think it's 12. Yeah, it's 12 players. And some of these guys are absolute dogs. We obviously know about McCullough, right? That's the easy one. But let's talk about Rondell Bothright, somebody you might not know from Wake Forest. He is somebody who I feel like comes in day one, balls out in the spring, balls out in the summer. And I think he will be our number one defensive lineman next season. Sure, not a lot of people feel that way, but I believe he is that good. And then let's look at the depth. 
Trace Ford and Jacob Lacey. Both of these guys made big plays seem like all the time at Oklahoma State and Notre Dame. Injuries have been the one thing that set both of them back. But what happens when they can play a little bit less snaps? They're not viewed as a every single down lineman. And they can be viewed as more of a situational piece, rotating in too deep type of guy. That is going to make a world of difference. And just having the depth, somebody like Trace Ford coming off the bench. Oh my goodness. Jacob Lacey coming off the bench. It's absolutely nuts, man. OU has done so well on the defensive side of the ball, but it's mainly the D-line that has stuck out to me. And also Sears, I mean, he has a lot of potential. He received a lot of great offers, right? There's just, there's so much talent here for OU. But there's one person, one specific player who I want to talk about. Kendall Dolby, number eight in JUCO. You and I talked about it. This man can play pretty much anywhere. He's a little undersized, I believe 5'11", 180, but he is a dog. From Miami, he's going to be so good. I think he's going to be somebody who will end up starting. I, I'd say by October, I think Dolby is a starter on this team. And I think he will have a CJ Colden type of impact later on in the season where he just progressively at a rapid rate gets better and better and better. I think that's what we're looking at here in Dolby. I think he is going to be very, very good. And Reggie Pearson's another guy in that secondary, the big hitter. We saw what he did, what he did to Dylan Gabriel last season. That was bad. That's what this man does every single play, though. He is an absolute wrecking ball. If you run into him, I promise you will feel it. 5'11", a little bit undersized, but still, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter when you hit that hard and when you're that fast. Reggie Pearson's going to be another guy. This team, it just gets me excited. Goosebumps talking about it. The transfers that they brought in are absolutely nuts. And those transfers are going to get a chance uh, against a, a fairly softball schedule to open the year. I, I know we've said that in the past uh, as Sooner fans, and then they go out there and they lay a dud to uh, BYU, who is on the schedule this year, by the way, you know, or, or pick random team. I, I kind of harken back to TCU in 05. Nobody expected that, you know, even in a rebuild season. But this year, Blake, OU drops their schedule today. Um, if you were on Sooners360.com and a member of the board over there, you didn't necessarily know the order, but you absolutely knew who OU was going to likely be getting uh, come conference play. And it, it seemed that everything panned out that we were hearing. Uh, but non-conference, OU opens the slate with Arkansas State, SMU at home. Then they go to Tulsa. And how weird is it that at Cincinnati is going to be a conference game, going to be OU's conference opener, and then they've got a stretch of you know the usual suspects with Iowa State, Texas. The bye comes in the middle of the year, um, probably a good spot uh, for for Oklahoma, especially with the back half of that schedule. You know, not knowing how good Kansas is going to be again, Oklahoma State in a down year, but you close out with BYU and TCU. BYU being on the road, TCU being that final game and coming off of a playoff appearance, probably not going to be the team that they were this year, but they're, they're not necessarily reloading, but they absolutely had a solid recruiting class. And, and just with what they did, with what they had, you can't discount that. You know, just initial impressions on the schedule, 
uh, well, what are some stretches that kind of concern you? And then what do you think is is the ceiling for Oklahoma uh, against these opponents? Yeah, so stretch that concerns me. I think it has to be the at Cincinnati, Iowa State, you know, that's always a trap game, and then Texas. That little three-game stretch is really the one that concerns me. I think Cincy... I, I think Cincy and Texas are probably the two biggest threats on this schedule. That might surprise a lot of people, but you need to realize OU doesn't have Kansas State. OU doesn't have Baylor. OU doesn't have Texas Tech. There's one more school who we normally play who I'm forgetting. Uh, is it – who is it? Is it Houston? It's Houston. They're the other Big 12 Houston, team that we don't yeah. play. Yes, they're – I mean, that's – those are four above 500 teams in my opinion next season. So that they kind of lucked out on that side of things. But that has to be that little late September, early October stretch. That's the one that scares me. You have a buy right after that. And honestly, what I expect initial reaction is 11. That's how many wins. I think OU has next season. I think you have an 11 and one season. I know that comes out bold after going six and seven, but let's just break down eight out of your 12 games are in the state of Oklahoma, Arkansas state, not worried. One and no SMU. I don't think you should be that word. Two and no Tulsa three and no Cincy. Should win that game. 4-0. Iowa State, 5-0. Let's just play devil's advocate. Say you lose to Texas back-to-back years. 5-1. UCF at home, 6-1. Kansas, I think they, I think, uh, I think they'll probably be a similar spot. Probably five to seven wins. I think you win that game. Oklahoma State on the road. I think this Oklahoma State team is going to be very bad. Four to five wins this upcoming season. Agreed. Win West Virginia. Thankfully, it's not in Morgantown. Doesn't scare you win at BYU and then TCU. That's a little two-game stretch. It's a short week also. Notice TCU is on Black Friday this year. Weird Mm. one. I don't think you lose to TCU, though, especially after how last season went. BYU is the other scary game on the schedule for me. It's Texas and at BYU. Those are the two games that kind of appears trap games, and I don't think BYU will be that good, though. I think it's just the new atmosphere, new road game, furthest game on the schedule. I think that's kind of the scary side of it i guess but i mean really 11 and 1 11 and 1 should be it sounds wild but should be the bar 11 and 1 should be the bar 12 and 0 is i guess the ceiling and i don't really see any way they go under probably 9 and 3 i think that's kind of worst case scenario for the sooners team with this schedule yeah, and i don't think they they can afford to you know well with this schedule and then also trying to have some momentum as you know, you you embark on this SEC journey that we predict will be in 2024. I I don't know if another eight and four, seven and five, will be the kind of season that one allows the the staff to remain intact. You know, this year was a first year uh, for BV as a head coach, as a guy putting putting his staff together. This next season. Having you know kept all those guys, having upgraded the receiver coach position, you know possibly some changes on the defensive side of the ball to come. Uh, the not really sure on that. We'll get more clarity as as things shake out. But I, I think that there is very, very, very little wiggle room. And if OU comes out of that first stretch before that bye week with two losses there is going to be some real heat from the fan base because at that point, 
you go go to Lawrence and things get sticky and all of a sudden you got a third loss and then you know you got that trip looming to BYU and even in years where they haven't been great that they, they always seem to have gotten someone in Provo it just is is the way it always kind of shakes out uh so i think OU well, with the experience they brought on with with the transfer portal with guys returning uh, well, with another year of development for the players that BV brought in in that initial class, OU has to make the jump. And if they go 11-1, I mean, to me, anything outside of playing in a conference championship this next season is not just not meeting expectations, but it's probably a disappointment. And, and, and yeah, I would no, I say there's... T- 10-2 and two is the... If you go under 10-2 and two this season with this schedule and this roster, barring some kind of crazy injury, whatever. 10-2, and two, that's the bar. Anything under that, and this was another disappointing season, due to the talent you have on the roster, due to the recruiting class, the transfer class, and just the schedule. I mean, this is a very bad schedule. Poor Texas. I'm not sure. Barry, have you seen their schedule? A little bit, man. It's it's not much better. Yeah, it's. I would say Texas's schedule is very, very. I would not be happy if I were a Texas Longhorns fan right now. Their schedule is Rice. They go to Bama, Wyoming. They go to Baylor, Kansas, OU. They go to Houston, BYU, Kansas State. They go to TCU. They go to Iowa State, and then Texas Tech. Oof. It's a very Man. rough schedule. <laughs> they, Man. they drew a very short stick. Kind of feel for them. Yeah, and then, and it's been joked about, but you know, I don't think the Big 12 is trying to do OU any favors on the way out. You know, as it as it relates to the playoff picture, if OU goes 11 and 1 or undefeated, they're not going to have a, a any kind of um, the sort of dissension or pushback from them getting into the playoff. But this is the type of schedule where you're going to have to go out and do that because essentially what they're playing is a G5 schedule. If you went back Absolutely. in the time machine in 2006 and OU rolled this schedule out at any point in the Bob Stoops era before we you know, saw all the conference realignment, you would say... Has OU just moved to a group of five conference with Texas? And 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 that's the the feel that the fans have. It's why the SEC move can't come soon enough. I think there's going to be so much residual economic um and, and just the the feel around the program. Well, when that move finally happens, there's going to be so much excitement that yes, we we've sort of seen it but not to the degree that that it's going to come in terms of businesses you know being willing to support things you know the the flourishing of norman and and other surrounding areas you know the in the local economy and as those places see the bump in revenue see the bump in traffic they are going to mu- be much more willing to invest into the program side of things and that's when you start getting OU taking that next step. That's why this SEC deal not only was good that it happened, but it really had to happen. OU had no other option other than maybe trying to find their way into the Big Ten, but really anything out of a trip to the SEC 
um, for the foreseeable future was not going to bode well uh, for the Sooners in, into kind of this next era of of how television deals are done, uh, of the, the different licensing opportunities that they're going to have. It, it's a deal that OU had to make. 100%. One thing I will say on the schedule, though, is like TCU this past season, there's always that one little sleeper team who ends up being really, I mean, Kansas State too, I guess, but ends up being really, really good in conference play, it seems like. We have to watch out for that. This season, as of January 31st, yes, it looks easy. Let's see what we say about it come September 17th, right? So, I mean, a lot can change. We know this. But let's let's let a few weeks happen. Who knows? Maybe Sony Dykes is just that good. And maybe this TCU team doesn't fall off that much. Maybe they're a top 10 team again. I don't think so. I think losing Riley hurts. I think losing Duggan hurts, et cetera. But still, we still have to see. The games still have to be played, obviously. There are a few teams who you can kind of rule out right away, like Oklahoma State, UCF. You know those teams aren't going to be good. But as far as Cincy, as far as even SMU, as far as Kansas, BYU, TCU, those teams, any of those teams could end up being decent. We we don't know yet, but like you said, as it sits right here on January 31st, this looks like a very easy schedule. And if you're going to want to uh, stay on top of that and, and get all of the updated news, insider info, fantastic articles, uh, you're going to make sure you want to subscribe to Sooners 360. Uh, Sooners 360 is going to be offering daily publications. We have a message board that has uh, got a lot going on right now. Multiple podcasts coming out of there, including the Marquee Barry and Mac show uh, today featuring none other than Mr. Blake Mullen. Uh, Blake, it was awesome having you on today, man. Um, any parting words for Sooner Nation as we sign off today? Yeah, man, I'm just I'm just excited to be able to uh, cover Sooner Nation. Like you said, be able to cover it on 360. Let's get to work. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great opportunity. I love it. Well, Sooner Nation, make sure to go give us a follow at Sooners360.com. Follow the Barry and Mac show on Twitter at Barry and Mac SHW. And make sure to go visit Sooners360.com for a 360-degree view on your Oklahoma Sooner football program and all athletics. We've got baseball, softball, basketball coming in track and field. Uh, We are going to be getting it all done over there. Make sure to become a member, and we will see you soon.